I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Canis Hoopers family. The playoffs are well and truly underway. We're into the second round now, but as the degenerates that we are, we have one eye firmly fixed still on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, today, we're going to kind of ramp up our off-season talk a little bit. We ha- I haven't Spoke about anything off-season related yet on the podcast, so we'll get into that a little bit. We'll kind of go whether we keep the pick or whether the pick goes to Golden State and and kind of go down those two paths and see what the Minnesota Timberwolves can do heading into the off-season. Joining me to do all that, of course, is Tanner Subas contributor, friend of the show, Jack Borman. What's going on, man? Doing well, man. How are you? Yeah, very well, actually. Um I guess it's it's nice to have no Timberwolves and not have be so stressed about <laughs> watching basketball. Uh, uh, but I also I also miss watching them as well. It's it's kind of a sick little habit. So I miss I miss uh, the daily Anthony Edwards content. Yeah, that's uh, we're we're not getting as many funny post game interviews at the moment, which is a bit sad. They're coming though. They're coming. Summer league is only what uh, six six seven weeks away. Yeah, and it's for how long the off-season feels, especially at the moment when the, the regular season's kind of just wrapped up, it really does come around quickly. The draft lottery is in, what, 16, 17 days, so it's, um, it's, it's coming quick, and there's, there'll be a lot to talk about, I think, to do with the Timberwolves this off-season, especially if they keep that pick. So let's start with, with the path forward for the team if they do keep, keep the pick. Um, I'll just start with the draft, I guess. Like, who do you think impacts the team most out of, you know, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs? They seem to be the four guys that, you know, are a chance to be one of those top three picks. Uh, is, is there anyone who stands out there, especially for you, in terms of the, the future moving forward? Yeah, I think Cade, especially with with just his size and, and kind of where the NBA is heading in terms of being able to have really big and physical playmakers, um, is something that that really sets you apart. I mean, you look at what's going on with the Mavs and Luca having your point guard being able to be, you know, six eight, just built like a brick wall like Luca is, um, really just makes a huge difference for your team. And the and the same thing kind of goes for the 76ers too with, with having Ben Simmons being able to, you know, really get downhill and use his size to to make passes that most other point guards can't make. Um, and so that, that obviously is there with Cade to go along with, with his shot making ability and, um, and, and a guy that's, you know, not, you know, a negative on defense, uh, he's a guy who uses his size really, really well on defense at the point of attack. Um, 
And, and Kate, obviously, you know, is, is the number one guy. And, and unlike last year, you know, there's not really a debate there. Um, but outside of Cade, like who, who would you kind of slot in right behind him as if like the Timberwolves had the number two pick? Who, who do you think would make the most sense? I, I do think it's still Mobley. Uh, I think there's a there's a there's no case really for me kind of if we're going like fit or best player available if you if you have the chance to take Cade even though Mobley kind of seems like the guy who could slot into that four or five role next to Towns uh, and I guess fill in the gaps of the of the starting lineup synergy I think you still take Cade there and I'd still take Mobley second I think he a lot of years Mobley would have been a really solid number one pick unfortunately I think that Cade is just a generational cup type of prospect. Um, Mobley protects the rim. He can defend in space. He can. I, I have faith in his shooting projections. And then he's just got really good touch around the rim. Really good roll guy. Really good in the dunker spot. Uh, it's if Cade wasn't there, there'd be no doubting that he would be the the absolute favorite for all Timberwolves fans. I think Mobley. Uh, he's a match made in heaven for the way I think that he can slot in next to Towns or potentially, you know, play on the court when Towns is off the court. Um, I think that the conversation for me is if they get the number three pick. Um, I know you're a big Jalen Suggs guy, uh, and I think that most Minnesota-based listeners uh, are big Jalen Suggs guys, and that's not hometown bias, I think. I mean, you watch Jalen Suggs, and it's it's certainly more than, than hometown Tyus Jones kind of bias. It's Jalen Suggs is a legitimate you know, lottery, high lottery pick. But, and I think I'd take Jalen Suggs if I was the Timberwolves just because I think that the level that him and Jalen Green are on are very similar. But if you're asking me for my overall board, you know, best player available, I, I have Green as my third as my third guy. I just think that superstar potential, which is, you know, a word, a kind of phrase tossed around too much because the chances of, any of these guys becoming superstars are always going to be relatively low just because of how few superstars there are in the league. Um, but Jalen Green, for me, is the kind of guy who can create his own shot. He can pass off the dribble uh, in a pinch, I guess, and probably you know has, has projections to be a pretty good defender as well if, he, if his body feels out and if he kind of grasps NBA defensive schemes. So Jalen Green is my third guy. If you're asking me to be Jason Roses and, and, and take the third pick. I think I'm taking Jalen Suggs. I, how do you feel about that third pick debate? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have seen more people kind of warm on the idea. No, I mean, this isn't just Minnesota specific. This is just in general. Like, I think more people have have warmed on Jalen Green as they've had more time to kind of comb through everything that he did in, um, you know, for the for the G League Ignite team. Uh, you know his. His crossover is insane, um, and just his ability to to change directions and change pace so quickly, um, and and then get into a shot from from anywhere on the floor out of you know any out of a flurry of different dribble moves that he's able to do. I think, you know, obviously that's where the league is headed. Like that's that's something that Suggs doesn't have, um, at least right now. Um, and you know, I, I definitely think that, you know. If if you have a guy that's got sky high offensive potential, I think it's really hard to kind of pick against that. Um, but I, I also think that you know the Timberwolves are in this interesting spot where like they just can't take guys that are going to be projects. Like they've got to take guys that can come in and be impactful right away in in more than one way. 
Um, and I think that, you know, the Timberwolves lack kind of a, a guard outside of Anthony Edwards that is really able to put pressure on the rim. You know, I, th- I think, you know, for as great as D'Lo is, like, he just is not a factor really at the rim and, and neither is Jalen Noel either. Cause both of those guys kind of prefer to pull up in the mid range. Um, and so with a guy like Jalen Suggs, who is an insane athlete, I mean, as is Jalen green, but I, I think Jalen Suggs is a much more natural downhill attacker. You saw all throughout the, um, the NCAA tournament, just how physical he is at the, you know, at, at the guard spot and, and how well he's able to finish, over and through guys that are much, much bigger than he is. Um, so w- with that in mind, I think that, you know, the Timberwolves probably would rather have a guy like like Suggs. And then you also factor in that, you know, that guy's going to sell tickets because he's from, he's from you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul area. So that that's a big separator. And then, and then the last point for me about Suggs is that dude is a legit NBA defender already. Um, just the way he's able to, you know, just stand guys up. Uh, his feet are incredibly fast. Um, he's got really fluid hips. Um, shout out Tyler Metcalf. Um, and, uh, you know, he just isn't afraid of anybody. And, and that mentality is something that, you know, is really going to get Jalen Suggs, um, you know, onto the floor a ton as a rookie and especially in, in clutch time. And it doesn't matter if it's for a team like the Timberwolves or it's for a team like, you know, Golden State who, um, who, uh, you know, has more of a veteran laden team that, that needs to win right now. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's kind of the way that I think about it. Like I think Suggs is a guy that you could throw into the fire right now and would find a lot more success with, but, um, you know, I, it's close, but I think I'd agree that I, that green has, has higher potential overall. And I, but I also, I also do agree with you though, that, that Mobley is, is number two. I, I feel pretty solid on, on Mobley being number two. Yeah. One and two are pretty set for me. I think the way I kind of think about it, and maybe this is through a strange lens is that if both of those guys, Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs were free agents right now, they obviously at the, at the exact same position that they're in, you know, development wise, Right now, if they were both free agents, I don't think that Minnesota would even chase Jalen Green because it just doesn't seem to be the kind of mold that they need on the team. Like you said, like they've they they need shot creators. Every team needs shot creators. You look at the playoffs right now, and the only teams that win games are teams with high level, you know, high usage shot creators. But Jalen Green can uh, Jalen Suggs can do that not as well as Green, I don't think, but he can do it. He's a great defender for his age, which is something the Timberwolves desperately need especially at those guard spots he's strong like he's he's very ready-made nba kind of guy and at this point like it's a, it's a great point that you make that, that the Timberwolves aren't they're not the houston rockets they're not the orlando magic they're not the detroit pistons like they're not entering the first year of a rebuild they're two three four years into it with two three four pieces already of the puzzle and they need that last guy to kind of slot in and, and make this a winning team rather than rather than the first building block of a rebuild and if if you have the choice of those two guys Suggs is the one who's definitely more scalable to any system uh you know I can't think of a system in the league that that Suggs wouldn't just walk into and become you know a rotation guy pretty much immediately and Minnesota need those fourth fifth guys who they don't need to score 25 points a game to be effective and and 
as much as we love Anthony Edwards and I see projections that go far past just, you know, a scoring star, that's what he is right now. And that's what he was had proven to be, especially in that run during the end of the season, even though he can facilitate and he can, you know, do other things offensively. But they need, like, Jalen uh, Suggs is a glue guy already. Like, he's the kind of smaller version of, of Jaden McDaniels, if you will. It's that, you know, he's got that dog in him. He's going to fight and scrap on every possession. He's clearly used to winning. Uh, it's very rare that, that Gonzaga even recruit guys who are for sure one-and-done prospects. Uh, they like to kind of build up from the ground up and get guys into their senior year, and then you see them really contributing. You like, you like Corey Kispert, and, and I know Drew Timmy is coming back next year, but guys like that who, who can build throughout their, their college career and then really help impact winning at a high level in their third or fourth year at college. Jalen Suggs was always going to be a one and done. For Gonzaga to even consider recruiting him um, and playing him heavy minutes over guys who, who might be there next year and who might be, quote-unquote, more loyal to the to this college, um, that just shows how much they believe in him or how, they, how much they believed in him as a genuine winner. And he proved that in his first year. Obviously, he hit that huge shot in the tournament. They lost. A, they lost the championship game. But it's it's a testament to Suggs how how much he impacts winning. The fact that he was even put in that situation and allowed to thrive as a as a pretty high usage, you know, like first, second, third option on on depending nights with a with a college and like that. It's um. I just think he's a winning player. I think that he's the kind of guy that every team needs, and I think he can be that from day one. So, to me, Suggs is the pick for Minnesota. If I was if I was Houston or if I was Detroit, I'd probably pick Green at three. But for Minnesota, I would love Jalen Suggs, and and with the hometown ties, it's it's almost a no brainer. For sure, I'm I'm with you on on pretty much everything you said. I think. You know, having winners in the building is an important thing. Like, I think guys that have that dog in them, that mentality of, you know, you can't fail when I'm with you type of guys, um, you know, is is a huge plus. I mean, having, having guys with mentalities like Jalen Suggs and Anthony Edwards um, to go along with a superstar like Carl Anthony Towns that wants to empower everybody around him as best he can. Um, you know, that, that, that's something that, that really has the makings of an outstanding core, uh, of your team. And, you know, and that's, and, and you have a team that can play in just about every single style. You can have teams that can hit you in the mouth defensively. If you play like, Suggs and Edwards and Akogi and McDaniels and Towns like that's a tough ass defensive group of five that you can throw out there I mean and, and if Bolmero comes out too I mean then you have just a another you know guy that's just gonna get in your face and just piss you off and make you want to like feel like you never stepped on the floor um, you know, just, I want to talk about Bomar. Oh, we'll talk, talk about, about Bomar. Don't, don't but, you worry. Uh, we'll talk about Bomar, but, but yeah, I let's mean, wait until later. I, let's, let's tease the listeners a little bit. If you're, yeah, if you're I, hanging around for Bomaro talk, stay tuned. Yeah. And, and I think too, just like, yeah, the mentality combined with everything he brings on the floor as a leader and as somebody who makes his teammates better, um, you know, just, just gets me really excited about Jalen Suggs, but, but I have him as kind of a clear three for me over over Jalen Green because I think there's more question marks with Green like I think his floor is much lower 
Yep. I think he sure. could be Dion Waiters if he's not careful. Yeah, I think I think but, the I think Suggs's floor is higher and has a really high ceiling, but there's a chance that he's just who he is, which is unfair because we don't know that compared to any other player. But right. I think if I was projecting, which is what you know, draft mocks and all that stuff is all about, I think that there's more of a chance if we're looking at a guy in five years who's averaging twenty five five and five on a really good team. I think Green is more likely to do that. But yep. if we're if we're trying to if one of them is going to be a guy who's out of the league, Green's also more likely to be that. So for Minnesota, I think that you take the quote-unquote safer option, For which sure. would be Suggs. Yep. Who, you're good with this stuff. How does this figure into the salary cap? Because Minnesota are obviously cap-strapped, have been for since the beginning of time. <laughs> um, and no matter where I look, I get different projections on how much these guys are meant to be making um i'm gonna go with spotrack which is normally pretty good for nba contracts um they have the first pick at 8.3 million next year the second pick at 7.4 million and the third pick at 6.7 i don't know if that's right because i think anthony edwards is earning more than that unless the cut the cap dropped um anyway i'm not good with the cap stuff but they're gonna earn at least six million say even the third pick. What does that do to Minnesota's cap sheet? You're good with this stuff. I'd love to pick your brain on it a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you're just kind of looking out for trying to project that future, um, you know, the Timberwolves, like you said, they're strapped. And essentially, you'd have to clear salary in order to make it work. So, just looking at the Timberwolves' base roster for, for next season, um, next season, they've committed... Um, to, to my knowledge, $131 million, uh, which is $18 million over the salary cap and $5 million uh, below the luxury tax. And that is while having, um, what is it, two empty roster spots. And that is this, and that's like, that's if Ed Davis and Jared Vanderbilt don't come back. So, I mean, it's kind of Ricky tough. Ricky Rubio is the one, isn't he? Yeah, so Ricky Rubio is is definitely the guy that has to go. Or, you know, you could trade a package of like Malik Beasley, Wancho, Culver for, you know, another guy to come in that's around Malik's salary or a little bit above and like a non-guaranteed contract that could make the trade work, but then you could use to, you know, waive to essentially buy yourself a few extra million dollars to sign that, um, you know, to sign that rookie um, or, you know, to sign, you know, restricted free agents to a minimum contract like a Vanderbilt or um, or a, a Davis potentially just as like a guy to fill a roster spot. Um, and, and you also have to think about McLaughlin, like McLaughlin's a restricted free agent uh, again for the third year in a row, I think, or second year in a row. Um, and him, he's certainly not going to be a two-way player next year. Um, so pretty much you, there's two options you can take if you want to sign him. Number one is trading Ricky Rubio, but also you have to think about the fact that in order to make salaries match, you can take in 125% of what you send out. So if, you know, if Rubio is sending out, you know, 178 that means the Timberwolves would have to take back, you know, a minimum of 14.2 million in that trade. 
unless it's like a contract that's non-guaranteed that they could just waive. And the only contract I know out there that um, is like big enough to actually make a dent like that is Aaron Baines's contract. Um, Aaron Baines's contract, or this might have been at the at the deadline this past year. Um, you know, I'd, I'd have to check, um, but yeah, I, I think that. No, yeah, so I'm right. So Baines has a non-guaranteed year for this upcoming year that's like eight or eight or ten million dollars or something like that. So I mean, if you're looking for a team to try and take Rubio and the Raptors blow it up, um, no, I definitely think that that would that would make the most sense to me personally. But um, yeah, I mean, it's either Rub- the Rubio option or you know Malik in a package to try and you know take back less salary to clear stuff up, but. Yeah, so you'd you'd probably have to clear at least ten million dollars, would be my guess, if you wanted to. And that's not easy, man. Like, no, that's because because and, just... and that's assuming that Bolmero's here next year, because Bolmero will sign yeah. his rookie deal, which thankfully is much closer to like Jaden McDaniel's rookie deal. Um, yeah. But but they but they also have to pay you, don't they, to get him over here? Because he can only they can only pay. Do they have to pay his buyout clause out of the cap? No, to oh, okay. no, that okay. is that's that's something that is just a just a Glenn suck it up and yeah, and yeah. pay some Spanish dude four million dollars or something like that. I I don't know what his buyout clause is. I I can look. Maybe that up. Glenn will just go into the luxury tax for one last year before he leaves leaves a rod with a steaming hot pile <laughs> of mess. <laughs> um, that's not going to happen, by the way. Um, so yeah, it's going to be tough, but. They, you feel like they have these contingency plans. They must have these contingency plans already in place because, for for me, I don't, I'm sure the franchise agrees. I'm sure you agree that there's no better way to brighten this path forward than to get one than to keep the pitch. There's no way they're going to bring in a player who has as much potential as Green, Suggs, Mobley, Cade uh, in free agency or or likely even via trade. Like it, it just seems unlikely that they can get better now and in the future more than if they keep the pick. So the team must have a contingency plan to to be able to fit that guy into the salary cap if they do luck out on draft night. So but that makes things very interesting. It, it, from from the the time the lottery ball gets chosen, if it's one, two or three, it's gonna be a very, very interesting off season because there's gonna be a lot of moving pieces in the Timberwolves organization, I think. Uh, what what do they need to do so they keep the pick right they get one of these three guys we've discussed why you know uh, we want either of these guys for specific reasons what can they then do let's say they trade Rubio let's say they make that that cap work they, that cap work they, they move Rubio they move Malik how do they improve internally or externally via free agency yeah, so I think the way that they have to think about it is, you know, the team right now as it stands is a really guard and undersized wing heavy roster. And, you know, the team's real only two bigs on the team that played were, were Tan, Towns and Nas. And so, you know, you, you've got to think about a way to get another impact big on the floor so that that way, or excuse me, just like another legitimate center on the floor so that, you know, you can really have Nas be more versatile in, in the way that he's lined up so that he can play alongside cats so that he can, you know, be that sole center 
for the bench, just to be able to throw different looks at defenses, like a, like a, like a Mason Plumley type of guy. Um, you know, obviously he, he's under contract with the Pistons, but like trying to find that type of center, um, that can just steal minutes for you and, and get more flexible with Nas. And then the other thing they need to do, um, is I think they need to find an upgrade at backup point guard. Like some guy that can put pressure on the rim, um, whether that's like an Ish Smith type or, um, you know, or a guy that can just come in and shoot. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, Rubio doesn't really do either of those things well. Um, and it's unfortunate that, you know, the NBA is not like the NFL or the Major League Baseball where like you can restructure a guy's contract. And in order for the Timberwolves to do that, they'd essentially have to buy Rubio out and then sign him to a new contract. But that is something that I, I, I don't remember the last time that was done. Um, and I can't imagine the Timberwolves would do something like that. Um, I mean, despite how, how great Ricky's been for, for, uh, for Ant. So I, I think those are really the biggest things for me would be, you know, beefing up inside to, to give Nas positional flexibility, uh, you know, adding more shooting to the roster and adding a, a guard that can put pressure on the rim. One thing that has stood out to me through these playoffs is that Ricky Rubio at $17 million as your backup point guard is just horrible value for, for what you're getting. Uh, you like right, right now, we just finished watching Brooklyn versus uh, Milwaukee. Mike James has just came over from Europe. He's on a minimum contract. He's giving them 25 to 30 minutes a night. He closed. Hard, he was Hardman. in their closing lineup tonight. Right, and and because he can shoot the ball, and he's not an excellent playmaker, he doesn't get to the rim very well. He, but he can shoot the ball, and he can do it off the dribble. You see guys like Monte Morris, who obviously has been in the league for a while now, but he was that same kind of guy who was just under the radar. I think all over the the league, you have backup point guards who are making minimum deals, who can hang around in good rotations because they can shoot the ball or because they can just effectively keep an offense ticking. Jordan McLaughlin is that type of point guard as well. I think he had a pretty down year, J-Mac, but he's that type of guy. Like, it's it just for a backup point guard, you can't be paying them $17 million. And especially if they're Ricky Rubio and they don't really fit what your team concept is to begin with. Uh, I just I just feel like that should be the... Like you said, I completely, I completely agree with both the things you you mentioned that they need. They need another big. The lead's trending back towards two bigs. I think the small ball uh, theory has kind of been blown to pieces a lot this this playoffs. You know, in the playoffs, and we know that it's a copy, uh, copycat lead when two bigs starts to work, or at least it doesn't even have to be two bigs, but just two guys who can defend inside. I don't, I, I don't think you can. You can have guys that can't defend. You can't have Robert Covington as your four anymore. You are what you um, can defend in the NBA. In yeah, the playoffs. right, right. And unless you're Brooklyn, and I know that you and Dane had an awesome conversation. If you're listening to this and you haven't listened to Dane and Jack's conversation on Dane's podcast the other day, I would... Don't turn this off and go listen to it, but listen to it after it. <laughs> um, but you had, like, you had a good conversation about Minnesota and Brooklyn and kind of the comparisons there. And unless you are that Brooklyn level of offense, I don't think you can have, you know, a guy like Blake Griffin as your five. Um, and, and Blake was awesome today, by the way. But it's just, you need to have, you need, like you said, you are what you can defend. 
you need to have guys, especially around Carl Anthony Towns, that can supplement him and that can insulate him. And they don't have that right now. Jared Vanderbilt's a really fun and energetic defender, but he's just not big enough. And that kind of seems to be the template. Like, you have to be bigger than Vanderbilt. Right, he plays like Claxton, work. but Claxton is so much bigger than he is. Right, right, And it's right. the same and, type and, of player. It's like that type of player works, but you just have to have the physical tools to be able to be that player. And being yeah, an and, undersized 6'8 is tough. Exactly. And it doesn't even feel like he's 6'8 on the floor. Like... When you see, you know, and he's a great, he does a lot of things great. Like you said, he can, he rebounds his position extremely well. He's a very good defender, both point of attack and, you know, as a, as a backside guy, but it's, he's just not tall enough. So they need to find that. And I think that's where they should be putting in the, their biggest resources, whatever they have of the mid-level exception or the biannual exception should be going to find a guy who's, who's big enough to play. 15, 20 minutes a night at the four or five um, alongside Nas and Towns. And I think they should be looking on the cheap for a backup point guard because I think that you can just, if you can just find a skill set, one skill set in a backup point guard, most likely shooting, I think, just someone who can shoot both catch and shoot and off the dribble shots. Uh, I think that that you can get that cheap. You can get that from overseas. You can get that from the G League. Um you're not getting it with Ricky Rubio and you're paying him starters money, probably more than starters money. So I think Rubio, as much as we love him as both a player, a a franchise kind of icon and obviously a person, for for this to work, I think he's the first one that needs to be traded. And especially if you keep that pick like we're talking about, like you just, you need to find a way to move Rubio to clear that cap space and you can replace him fairly easily. So to yeah. me, that's number one on the priority list. Yeah, I think, you know, there are guys that, you know, make a whole lot of sense for Minnesota at center. I think, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but I th- I think Gorgie Jang will probably get a minimum contract in free agency. And, like, Gorgie is somebody who can, like, shoot corner threes. He can rebound. He can defend the rim. Even if that's, like, a biannual exception, which is a little bit above uh, the minimum, it's, like, twice as much as the minimum, so it's, like, three, three and a half. Um you know, I'd love to bring Gorgie back. Um, or, you know, the other couple names that stand out to me, I mean, Cody Zeller uh, is still capable mm-hmm. of giving you some good minutes. Um, he was really good this year, Zeller. He was really good. Yeah. In the, uh, and, and I would uh, be shocked I'd if they brought him. him back. Yeah, I don't think they do. And they have some some really good talent coming through. I think that Zeller's pretty expendable over there uh, and a really good fit with Minnesota, to be honest. Daniel Tice is another one who probably gets full MLE, which maybe the Wolves can't afford. But Ooh, I would be surprised on, by that. He was on $6 million a year, I think, this year, if I'm not five. Um, and, like, that's a guy that, that fits really well with the Timberwolves and, and really well in that kind of uh, that four or five role that we've spoken about this. I, I don't know how much Chicago likes him. Maybe they want to bring him back. Um, but yeah, I just think that there's, there's options out there, but they are limited. They're going to have to get creative and they're going to have to hope that these guys want to sign with Minnesota. And that's been the biggest hurdle so far in Rosas's kind of uh, tenure is that he can't, he hasn't been able to get mid-level exception guys or, or under that to, to really choose Minnesota over these other cities. Yeah, and like a JaVale McGee is another name that's out there. 
Um, you know, those are kind of the guys that stick out to me. Um, and when you start looking, like you were talking about earlier with the backup point guard market, like part of me wonders if, you know, the Timberwolves don't even try and do that. If they just say like, if Balmero's coming, like we feel confident in the way he, in the way that he progressed this last season. Cause I know I sure as hell do. Like, I think Balmero, like if you had Balmero come over for the whole training camp, uh, he's in the rotation from day one, in my opinion, he's that good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I would feel totally confident having him as the backup point guard from day one. I want to take a break because I'm going to rant about Landro Balmaro when we get back. Let's start the the path to success, I guess, if the Timbles lose the pitch. Uh, we'll start with Balmaro talk, but we'll get to this after that break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We are back. Leandro Balmaro, I I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, I've told you, I through YouTube and an app that is like a, a, an Australian kind of sports app, I guess, like an ESPN, it's called KO. Uh, it just has all sports on it. They have all of Barcelona's games on there. Um, and then YouTube has a few as well. Uh, you're giving me the absolute wide eyes. Uh, so I have been binge watching uh, Leandro Balmaro. I need you to download those files and send them my way. (laughs) Uh, I have got pages and pages full of Balmaro clips uh, saved on my laptop. I'm going to write an article eventually. It's going to be long as hell. And I'm going to get it done, hopefully after the draft lottery, uh, especially if they don't keep the pick and and kind of keep us entertained with that a little bit. But Balmaro is an NBA rotation player. I'm certain of it. Or certain as, as you can be about... Uh, a guy who would be coming in, you know, via the draft. He would be a late lottery, maybe just outside the lottery pick this this year if he was eligible for the draft this this year. He is just an awesome player, man. Like he's improvement from last year. <laughs> he's yeah. uh, Jack's telling me higher over this Zoom call. <laughs> Way higher. I think he's a top ten pick. I, I think, think he's that... a top ten pick, like pretty squarely. If he if he came over, and the reason why the reason being is because you have a guy who's six eight, legitimate six eight, plays point guard, and he's an, every, and he is can... a legitimate point guard. I've seen people say that he's more of an off. They play him as the point guard when Nick Calathus, who is their their incumbent starting point guard, is on the floor. 
Balmaro's rarely on the court with him, and Talathus is a really good European player. He played in Memphis, I think, for a few years, Talathus. Bounced around the league a little bit in the NBA, but he's a really good European player, a great passer, and a really good floor general. When he's off the floor, uh, and he's dealt with injuries a little bit, that's when Balmaro plays, and he is a legitimate point guard. He does, he does not play as an off-guard, uh, you know, primarily. He's a point guard. He dribbles the ball up the floor. He defends at the point of attack. He is a point guard, and like you said, he's big. He's skinny, but he's, he's athletic and kind of, you know, body growth over the last season. Last season compared to this season is enormous. You watch the last. You watch last season. He he loves to dunk, right? Like <laughs> he's one of those dudes who just loves to dunk the ball. Last season he was getting he was rim grazing all the time or slamming it off the back of the rim. Now he's getting elbow height as he over the rim. Like he's he would have gained ten inches on his vertical. Like that's probably hyperbole, but like he has gotten remarkably more athletic. Than it's Nas Reed like. It really is. It really is. He's not. He's not shifty in terms of like Kemba Walker. You know, kind of, kind of wiggle and shake. Uh, I think that's probably to me my biggest concern with him as a ball handler is he he doesn't create space for himself. But he's fast as hell. Like he is a straight line off a straight line drive. If he gets a lane, he can finish it. Uh, He he's shot is still a little funky. Um, but the numbers kind of don't haven't lied it look, this season. It looks like, much more fluid than it did in the past. It's it's not a two shot motion anymore. It's it's still a funky shot, but it's all one motion funkiness. Whereas it used to be that kind of hitch in the middle, uh, and that was played out in the shooting percentages. This year he's over forty percent in both the Euro League and uh, the the Liga ACB, which is the domestic competition. The Euro League is. All of the best teams around Europe. That's finished up now. They lost in the final. Uh, he played 25 minutes in the last four or five games. Last season, he didn't even play more than 10 minutes a game. On I think he made play more than 10 minutes a game on two different occasions. And he played seven total games. This season, played every game. Uh, most every game. Uh, played 25, over 25 minutes eight or nine times. Really integral part. And then in the, in the domestic competition, he's... He's virtually a, a, a twenty-five minute a night guy, um, and especially lately, he's coach. They don't they don't give minutes to people like like Minnesota this season. If Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels came out, and or Anthony Edwards especially, let's say he's the prize recruit, just like Balmara is the prize young guy over in, in Spain right now. If Anthony Edwards was getting thirty minutes a night or twenty-five plus, no matter what he did. You saw him at the start of the season. He was, he could not hit a shot. He was shooting lots. He was getting every chance he could uh, to get developmental reps. They don't do that in Spain, man. Like they don't care how young a dude is. They don't care. They're not developing guys for their next stop in the NBA. Like they're not in the business of of giving Balmaro minutes so that he can be good for the Timberwolves next season. They're trying to win games, man. Like they got Pau Gasol at sixty-seven years old. Playing over, the, playing over there and playing big minutes. Like, Nikola Meritic plays on that team too. Kalathis is, you know, un, arguably as talented, maybe even less talented than Bolmaro, but he's always going to get the starting minutes because they value experience and winning. So when I say that Bolmaro is getting 25 minutes a game, that's not to be 
kind of snuff that, you know? Like, that's that's big time, man. And, like, I'll let you get some Balmaro thoughts out before I just talk about him for another hour. But, like, I'm super excited. And if he, especially if they don't keep the pitch, uh, he, he is that backup point guard option, I think. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Balmaro that, that really impresses me is that because of his height, he's able to make every single pass in the book. He's got the touch to throw passes over the top. On the drive, he can make, you know, really impressive, you know, weak side skip passes. He can throw passes, you know, over and around passing, you know, you know, passing lanes that are current that are clogged by, you know, guys trying to guys trying to take passes away and different angles away. And just the way that he reads the floor. Like he just doesn't give up on a play. Like if you th- if he thinks that there's even going to be the slightest of a window that he's going to be able to throw a pass to, he's going to be able to position himself on the floor to create that window that he can pass to someone through. And with with a guy like Cat or even a guy like Nas, like being able to do that and make life as easy for them as they possibly can, so they can attack their, you know, attack the guy that's guarding them. It's likely a mismatch just based on how you know, where those guys play in their minutes and who guards them um, is, is a huge plus. And also just being able to have a guy that, and we haven't really talked about his defense much, but like. Mm-hmm. That's, I was waiting to, to do like, that separately. Yeah. Like, you, you know, in movies, how like pit bulls are portrayed, how like everybody's just afraid of them because they just want to come get up in your face and bark at you and just like bite you and one, just like i've got one sitting right here that's the <laughs> yeah and like he's exactly like that like he he comes and gets in your face and makes you uncomfortable and isn't afraid to get right up into you without you know giving you space to work with and and i love that because he, he's able to use his length and his and his really really good footwork um you know that kind of makes up for his lack of like it really high level agility and athleticism. And, you know, when you have that length and you know exactly how to use it on the defensive end, um, you just become so much more valuable as a defender. It's kind of like Joe Ingles in a sense. Like, I think if I was going to give an NBA, like a player comp, I would probably, I'd probably say Joe Ingles just because of the way that he's able to make every single pass in the book and how comfortable he is in pick and roll. Um, and, and that he's a really tall playmaker. Obviously Ingles is a better shooter, um, but Balmero is a better athlete and, but the, but specifically defensively, I think the way that they're able to play at the point of attack, despite like not having like super, super plus athleticism is very similar. And, um, you know, and being able you know to have here reminds me of defensively, and this is not to do, this is, this is a strange comparison because they're nothing alike in terms of body size, but he reminds me of Pat Beverly. Like, because he is a full-court hound, he will get beaten sometimes defensively because he overcommits to things. Like, he, you can shake him with a really nice crossover because he is so intent on just taking the ball away from you. Um, and that's like Bev, but when he, when he gets it right, like, he's just unshakable. They send him out there as, like, I, I'm... Obviously, I don't know the inner workings of a Barcelona huddle, but I'm 99% sure that he is sent out there and told to just guard one guy and lock him down. And usually it's the point guard or the best ball handler on the other team. When Talathus gets burnt a lot because he's just a small, you know, slow, older point guard, 
that's when they bring Balmara on and it's usually on the star player. Um, the last game I watched was against uh, Pereira Henry, who was a guy who Minnesota were linked with um, and he plays for Baskonia. He's their best player. He had seven, eight points in the first few minutes. They brought Balmaro on. I think he finished with nine for the game. Balmaro played 28 minutes after that. He like, he just felt he he's not a great team defender because he just face guards people for entire games. Like, and it's unbelievable how good he is at it. He you cannot run a dribble handoff around Balmaro. Like, if you run a dribble handoff, he somehow slides in between the ball and the defend and the you know the guy coming off the handoff and takes the ball away. Like his point of attack face guarding defense specifically is unbelievable for someone his age. Like it's genuinely unbelievable. I don't know if he's going to be allowed to do to defend like that as much in the NBA, just because they're more kind of rigid in the, in the system where they want to, they want you to be a better team defender before the guy who just hounds point of attack for 94 feet. But man, like that's, that's what reminds me of Beverly is he's just, he's just a pest man. Like I would hate to play on Bomaro. I would hate it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, that's really nice, though, is that if the Timberwolves, you know, pick up more of a, you know, aggressive switching style of defense, I think Balmero would have an e- a much easier transition because, you know, you'd see it, you'd be in an, he'd be in an opportunity to make more of those types of plays. Um, and he can guard at least three positions on the floor. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Especially if you're coming off the bench. Um, and, and I just think that he'd be able to fit in so seamlessly with, you know, with really good shot makers like D'Lo and Cat and Jalen Noel, um, you know, I, mm-hmm. and, and and we see too, like the way that D'Angelo Russell was able to make guys around him so much better because of the timing and the cadence of the way that he played offensively, and and the and he's just super high degree of difficulty passes that he was able to make. Um, you know, he, D'Angelo Russell's play made me eat my words about Wancho. Like that's <laughs> how good of a playmaker he was. And I think Bolmero could have a similar impact. And like, you know, if he could set the table for guys like Noel and Beasley and God forbid Wancho, if he's still on the roster, <laughs> um, you know, that's a huge, huge plus. I mean, and if, and if you look at, you know, his contract would be ever so slightly more than um, would be ever so slightly more than, than Jaden McDaniels. And if you, and if you think about that, like, having a guy that's making like $2 million a year roughly, or like averaged out to like two and a half for the next four years. Um, that's just being a rotation piece. Just being a rotation piece is a win on that deal. Yeah. He doesn't need to be a star and he has potential to be, you know, a very good starting level player in the NBA. Yeah, I was going to say too, like, I think that he has the opportunity to be like a superstar role player. Right. Like tonight, I I, I was watching the game and tweeted that Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin were superstar role players tonight. Like, if you know exactly what your role is, you know exactly what you're asked to do, you go out there and you can consistently do it extremely well, that totally raises the floor of a team like the Timberwolves from like, an eight, like an eight seed to like a six seed. If you can, if you show up and you play consistently for all 82 games. Um, and you do it on that deal, which allows the team to have more roster flexibility around you and, and spend money on other guys rather than trying to spend money to find that guy at point guard position. Like right. if, you, if you get it for two and a half million, then you might be able to spend seven, eight, nine million of the MLE 
on that power forward position rather than trying to balance out, you know, the $9 million that you have on two different guys. Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't think that there's all that many, like, legitimate MLE guys, but, you know, even worse it, or even better, like, it, it would allow you to just take a swing at somebody that, you know, other guys aren't willing to take a swing at. Um, and you might say, you know, that's like a waste of money considering where Minnesota is. But like, if they end up keeping Ricky Rubio around, which I would say is more than likely, given that the chances, chances that you get the pick are low. Like I'm, I'm operating under the assumption that the Timberwolves just are not going to have the pick just because... It's the most likely scenario, and if Rubio, I'm, brought- opera- I'm operating under the assumption that they will, just because I love to like self sabotage. <laughs> oh man, that's an ex. That's like what we're doing every time we talk. I feel like it's just a form of self sabotage. No, but so like, yeah. I mean, then it allows you to have more of the security to like, if you need to just get rid of Rubio's contract or split it into two smaller contracts that like. You're able to do that. Like, do I think that's going to happen? No, because I think that the Timberwolves value Ricky as a leader so much that they're not just going to trade him unless the player or players that they get coming back are going to actually be useful to them. You know what I mean? Like, This is assuming that they lose the pick, right? Correct. Yeah, and Bulmero comes over. Like, Bulmero's kind of a safety blanket. That's yeah, like, yeah. you know what, if you trade Rubio then you end up being fine because you know you have this guy that can naturally step in and do pretty much exactly what Rubio has done this last year but more on the floor with obviously less of the leadership that that Rubio brings but I mean he, he just he's such a fascinating player that in my opinion if he can figure his shot out consistently to where he can shoot league average like 37 38 percent it doesn't even have to be like crazy off the dribble, but if he like has space coming off like a pick from Carl or Nas or whomever, and he can just step into a three, that would be so valuable. I mean, and he's also able to play next to Delo because like, well, Mero yeah. is very comfortable just like catching weak side skip passes and shooting from three or sliding into the corner or moving without the basketball. Like he does all of those things that you'd think a European basketball player can do. Yeah. Um, really, really well. And, 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 you know, we saw Jaden McDaniels do a lot last season of just moving without the ball that would force the defense to collapse or shift or switch that made life a lot easier specifically for Anthony Edwards. And, you know, I, in, in the, you know, I obviously haven't watched as much Balmero as you have, but in, in the time that I've seen Balmero when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, you know, he know he understands space on the floor. He understands how to collapse a defense and can create open shots for others without the ball in his hands. I and, don't think you need to watch that much of him to, yeah. to to know that because he does it so often. Right. And like, it's very much the European basketball way, like you said, is that one one thing is that they, they run a lot of sets in Europe. Like they, they don't have the jaw-dropping athleticism to kind of spend half the game in in semi-transition like the nba does where it's can just be up and back all game you really have to have good vision yeah and you need and the the coaching needs to have you know they're they're really good coaches over there they run like barcelona runs some fan you know i love my my sets my my offensive sets barcelona runs some absolutely fantastic sets man and bolmaro because he's been in that system 
really knows how to run a play, even when he's not doing anything, just to to get the ball away from him, to go and set a screen, you know, a cross screen in the paint for for Miritic to come up and to get a post up, like, and then he'll come out, jet out to the corner, and, and you know, be there for a skip pass from Miritic when they inevitably load up on him. Um, Everything's that's the kind intentional. Of stuff, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that he does. I think just just instinctively, and it's sometimes the kind of thing that Minnesota don't do enough of because they they just haven't under Saunders. They, that, that stuff wasn't happening. It's, it's been more prevalent under Finch, especially with the the horn sets and stuff that he runs. Um, Balmara is going to thrive in in any kind of play call. I think Rubio is like that too. Where Rubio, my favorite part about him is that when you run a play he can execute it perfectly. If, if, you know, if he's the guy who's passing to the, to the guy who's shooting, he's going to do it really well. Um, Balmaro is that, you know, from the same kind of lineage there of European guys who just, who just know how to run a play. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to the conversation that I was having earlier. Like it sucks that the wolves can't restructure Rubio's contract (laughs) because If Rubio was a free agent this year, it'd be perfect because I'd assume that Rubio would want to come back. And and obviously it's different because Ryan's not here anymore. But like if he if you got him to come back on like a three year, like 14 or 15 million dollar deal or something like that, just essentially to be a leader and to be a guy that can like come in and, and be confident and give you 10 good minutes a game if you need him. Or to just like be out of the rotation and he'd be fine with it, um, you know, would be. I don't think he would be though. That's the thing is, I think that Ricky really. No, gets I'm saying like based on based on like the mat like the matchup of the game. We're like, yeah. If a matchup calls for him not playing as much, like he'd be okay with that. I think. And I don't think he ever takes his animosity towards, you know, the team success or to the towards you know how much he's playing or, or not playing. I don't think he ever carries that over into the locker room, which is probably, you know, one of the best things about Ricky is that like this year, I don't think he was happy with the team. I don't think he was happy with, you know, the way he was playing himself and probably sometimes even the role he was playing when, when he was a bench guy, but he still, you know, became a key figure in Anthony Edwards' development and it was still clearly a pretty good locker room guy. And I think that's fairly rare in a league full of, you know, a lot of prima donna type of guys who take out, their frustrations on on the entire locker room, um, <clears throat> Jimmy Butler. Um, so you know, it's like that's the type of thing that that Rubio brings. But it's it's tough for me to see him. Do you think that Rubio could sign a deal in Minnesota if they keep him for next season? Do you think there's a chance he signs a deal, his next deal to stay in Minnesota? Yes, I I think if he stays all the way through next year, I would be shocked if he didn't sign. Really? Another deal. Yeah, because yeah. I'd assume that that would mean that, like, the only reason they wouldn't trade him is because he said, hey, don't trade me. Like, I want to stay. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I think and... he's I think he's earned, like, a spot on the team, in a sense, solely because of what we've seen from Anthony Edwards and how much Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns credit each of their individual development to Ricky Rubio. Like, I think that you know, like if, if that's $17 million you're going to trade isn't going to net you like an impactful player, somebody that's like more impactful than Rubio that you actually want to keep around long term. Like, does it really make sense to move off of that expiring money? 
Like yeah, you could say I, yes, like it's an expiring chip that it's an expiring like seventeen million dollar chip to add in a trade for a third star, but like Timberwolves already have that third star. Like And they, they have to be good the player turning back has to be good enough to warrant being here longer than one season. Because if he's not, you may as well just let Rubio expire and either sign him again yeah. or just let him walk. And and what we've seen from Rosas is like if Rosas doesn't have like a definite answer to how he's going to be able to spend the money, he's not going to do it. He's not going to yeah. just throw money at something and just say... And that's say, the right way to do it. Correct. A hundred percent. I completely agree with that. Like, you know, I, I think it's been really smart the way that they, you know, like didn't necessarily, you know, feel like they had to force getting a guy last at the end of last summer just because they had the money to spend it. Like, then they could have been in the luxury tax. Then they would have been forced to make some type of trade at the end of this season. Um, I mean, you can fault them for not getting another two-way guy after they released Ashton Hagens. Like, that's fair. Um, or yeah, not, that was a mistake. Or not at a certain point. Like, under, like if he knew that he was going to stand pat at the deadline, why wouldn't have you picked up a guy like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson with the empty roster spot? Um, just to like be able to throw different looks out there if you're trying to win games at the end of the season as like an extended tryout. Because at that point, then you know you're not going to go over the luxury tax. So it's kind of just like, you know, go, sure, it's like a drop in the bucket for Glenn. But it's also an opportunity for you got to have kind of like a free tryout where like you can kind of get familiar with the team, the coaching staff, some of the terminology so that if you need a place to work out and you want to come back the next year, like you're able to do that. You know what I mean? So yeah, rather than trying to integrate a guy during training camp on a training camp deal and then, you know, only getting to see them in, in two or three preseason games and, and a right. couple of kind right. of, you know, and, and we still, I'm guessing that training camp and, and preseason will be more towards normal this season, but you know, nothing's guaranteed. We're back in lockdown here in Australia, so nothing's guaranteed with, oh boy. with this virus. Yeah, so... Yeah, no, I mean... Uh, uh, what, one the, guy I the, want to talk about... Oh, I was just going to add, I was just gonna add no, one finish, last finish your point. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, just, yeah. so I was going to say, like, if you want to be mad at Rosas for not, you know, doing those really small things that are, you know, super deep on the margins, like, that's totally fine. But I also think that you have to applaud him for not just, like, feeling forced to throw money at something if he doesn't feel confident in it. And I think that's a mark that you see of first time GMs is like they, they, they constantly feel like they need to make a needle moving move. And if Rosas kind of sees that the risk outweighs the reward or just like there isn't enough solid evidence there that, you know, your investment's going to work out. He's not going to do it. And I, and I applaud and appreciate the fact that you have someone like that in a place that, you know, you're not going to get, you know, impactful free agents to want to come to organically. Yeah, I think that's how you end up with more Wancho contracts is if yep, you just give sure. people the money totally. because you feel like you need to. Yep. Um, one guy I want to talk about who kind of, I don't know where he fits in this puzzle, if he fits in this puzzle, is Jared Culver. He's the forgotten guy in all of this and, you know, for, for good reason because I want to forget the minutes that he plays when I watch him. But, like, Jared Culver, I guess the question I want to ask is, do you think, so, they don't, like, you know, everything, nothing crazy happens in this offseason, right? They don't trade for John Collins. They don't do anything kind of 
out of the ordinary rather than just almost run it back and, and add Balmara or do a little a few things around the margins. Is Jarrett Colbert in the rotation game one? Next year? Yeah. Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. No, absolutely not, dude. Are you kidding me? No. Uh, do you no. think that do you think that no. they I think they definitely try and move off him, but do you think if they can't move off him that Rosas isn't instructing Finch to at least give him prove it minutes like he did, you know, in his first little stint with the team? No. Absolutely not. I, I mean I think I mean part of the reason why Culver played too is because Noel got hurt. Yeah. And they were just but, trying to say, like... But Culver's also more of a three. Like, we speak about... I'm not advocating for Culver here. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate. Yeah, um, no, I I mean, I, I yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, like you, know, you th- can't have... You can't have, you know, I guess with Balmaro's there, maybe, but you can't have, like, McLaughlin, Beasley, Noel as your, you know, three... You one, two, and three off the bench. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's been most frustrating about Culver is, like, Culver's defense has not been consistent. Like his that was con- meant to be the thing that was good. Yeah, and like I think Culver would still get minutes if like his defense, like the defense we saw in the preseason against like legitimate NBA players, um, and in the first few games of the season, like if that defense was consistent, he would be playing minutes because that is really valuable to have if you have a stable of guys like you know Culver, Kogi, Vanderbilt, and. Uh, McDaniels that can all you know switch on pick and rolls and just be really long and in your face at the point of attack especially if they want to be more aggressive switching next year like who knows maybe Culver has an amazing offseason and figures his shit out I I would be floored if that happens but um, you know if they have him around next year and they aren't able to trade him like I, I think it makes the most sense for them to send him to the G League and say, go, like, get your confidence back, go play basketball where you can find success and you know what it's like to be successful on a basketball floor, decline his fifth-year option or fourth-year option or whatever it is, and then because in December of last year they exercised his option for next year, so they have him under contract for next year. So like, but they didn't, they didn't ex- do the, what they did for a Kogi where they did both at once. Um, so, I mean, then next year, like if he's still on the roster, you can have that as like trades, trade salary, but have him in the G league, just like finding his rhythm and trying to get back. And then, you know, if he plays well in the G league and feels more comfortable, then you can resign him to a smaller contract after that. That's more team friendly, you know? Like, I see that as being something that could happen, but, like, I don't know. I I just think that with the way Culver has played at the NBA level and how inconsistent it's been, I just think the best thing for him is to be able to let him go and play, whether that's with another team or in the G League. Like, Like, he's certainly got NBA strong role player potential, if he's able to play at the peak of his game consistently, like we've seen flashes of, uh, especially defensively. But I, I think that's really the only path for him to stick in Minnesota long-term. You can't, he can't lose any value no. going into, even if he, if he goes, if you cannot get, get off him this summer and then he goes to the G League and he just tanks it, like he averages 10 points a game on, 
forty percent shooting. Like his value is still not any lower than it is right now because if you can't trade him now, two years removed from being a lottery pick, a high lottery pick, like his value his value is rock bottom. Uh, if he goes to the G League and and you know it's it's more of the, the terrible Jarrett Colbert than we, that we've seen. Um, like that doesn't really tank his value at all. Like the only thing, the only it's kind of a win win situation. Like if he goes there and averages twenty points a game and he shows really good defensive instincts, like teams around the league pick up on that. Like it might not ha- hold the same weight that that doing that in the NBA does, obviously. But, but it's better than like, just getting DNPs or like coming in for right. two minutes and playing like crap and then. Cause like, I think for Culver, like the way they were using him the last like month and change before he got, before they like had him go get, you know, surgery, um, for someone that's like who he is as a person and just like that he's shy and he kind of lacks confidence a little bit. Like, I, I just think it's tough to expect a guy to succeed like that. And, you know, I think it's funny like we were talking about this in January of last year or January of, of last season saying like. Are we sure sending Culver to the G League is not a bad idea? And everybody was like, what the hell? Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what are we doing? Like, guys, stop. Like, this is ridiculous. Use the number six pick. Like, and now I feel the same way about it as I did then. Like, it's it's the best option. And, like, it's you can't think that, like, all right, I got to play this guy because of his contract. Like, his contract is a sunk cost, and you have to do what's best for the player to be able to develop, to give you the most bang for that investment. And yeah, being, being the sixth overall pick doesn't matter anymore. Although hopefully, hopefully now that he's healthy, <laughs> like he'll be health, healthy this summer and have a full summer to like, you know, improve. Hopefully, um, you know, that'll help him because he did play really strongly at the start of the season last year. So, you know, who knows? Who knows? I, I, I mean, I personally think Jared Culver is going to get traded this summer. Um, but if he's back next year, I mean, he's really got to have like a strong, strong, strong training camp guarding Anthony Edwards. <laughs> yeah. um, what, what are and they Malik Beasley if he wants to, if he wants to like be in the rotation, what would they get for him to, you know, in a deal, oh, they I, I mean, I don't. Or, or I, I what, think it would do be. Do they have to attach something to him? I I think it would be like if they if they traded Beasley and Culver, or like Beasley and Wancho, or or something like that, or like Culver for so and so in a second round pick, like a late second round pick that they could get back into the that they could get back into the the draft this year. I mean, and it could just be like a a terrible team that has like a later second round pick, like Houston. Houston this year has picks at 23 and 24 in the second round. Like I could see Houston offering like some type of, I don't know. I mean, what does Houston have on their roster? That's just like a small salary filler that they could offer. All of them. All like, of them. Yeah. I mean, they just have like a bunch of dudes on their team. That's like small salary filling guys that like, and that's a guy trade and that's with a, a pick to like, just, bet on Culver, like put him in your own G league team to try and develop him yourself. Like if they traded, they've done that with Porter jr. Like not to Porter was always kind of uh, playing better than Culver, but you know, like they seem to be willing to take on the risk of guys who, who could potentially be good players and who who haven't kind of hit so far. And, 
as a good way for Minnesota. Like, that would be a good team to try and deal with. Culver goes back to Texas, which is, I think, big for him. Um, and Minnesota can, can potentially clear, you know, $3 million worth of cap space if they get a cheaper guy. And that, like we've already discussed, clearing any cap space in this offseason um, is, you know, priority one, pretty much. Whether it's yeah. Beasley, Rubio, Culver, someone needs to go and they need to bring back less. I mean, who knows? Maybe they trade like Culver and, you know, a future like good second round pick. Um, Cause they, the Timberwolves have two t- second round picks in 2022, I think. Um, but they could also trade like Daniel. They could also try and get Daniel house. Um, I, I think, I, I don't know. just like a, a place where Culver can go and just play without a bunch of repercussions it would be great. And I don't know. I feel like Houston just makes sense based on where they are in the draft. And that would give like the Wolves reset, but I don't know. I, I, who knows? Um, it, I feel like it's just impossible to gauge what's, what Culver's value is, you know, yeah. like it's just, it, it, it really is. It really is like he, it's, he's the most confusing piece of this puzzle to me because sure. they clearly invested in him. Uh, and I think that, in an ideal world, obviously he he's a guy who can play minutes, but they're also at the at the crossroads where they can't keep giving minutes to dudes because they were a high draft pick or because they owe them money. Like they need to just give minutes to dudes who help them win. Yep. And Culver, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think Culver was a minus ten. You know, I think they were ten points worse per hundred possessions when Culver was on the floor last year. Like that's. That's where he. That's where he's at. Like that doesn't seem strange because when you watch the game, anytime Culver was in, the team just tanked, and you know that's unfortunate. But that's the reality, and and I think it's best for all parties to to move off that and, and start afresh. Yeah, I mean that that just makes the most sense to me. To I don't know, just give him the best chance to be successful in his career, but also you know, for the Timberwolves to make sure that they don't just have like this $7 million up against them. Like, I mean, you think about two guys that like, aren't really big difference makers for them. Three, really. I mean, in, in Wancho, Rubio and Culver that are making, you know, like $29 million. that's i mean that's yeah i mean that's just the reality of the situation and like you know thankfully after this upcoming season they'll be able to get rid of all three of those but i I mean i think you're going to see an in-season trade from the wolves next year just to try and shuffle that money around because obviously like if you take that you know 29 million away you're only going to get like 10 million in cap space because you know it's not like you can use back all that 29 million of just signing new free agents but um yeah, man, it's it's tough, and and with Culver, I, I just think that you've got to try and trade him, and then if not, it's it's G League, I think, unless he just completely wows you. But I, I think he's a guy that you'll see that'll be in Minnesota all summer. That like they'll want to work with him as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, last question before I let you go. I want to know, like, I think you watch the playoffs right now. There's there's a lot of teams who are really intriguing uh, and there's a few teams I think that kind of 
embrace the mantra that Minnesota seems to embracing be embracing of kind of all offense and, and no defense or, or mediocre defense at best. Clearly, Portland's one of them. They've been eliminated. They were 29th in defense. They also have Damian Lillard, who even though even though we love Carl Anthony Towns, is a a tier above Cat comfortably. Um, the two that intrigued me are Atlanta, who were 18th in defensive rating. And Dallas, who are 21st in defensive rating. To me, the reason I've been really watching those teams because I want to, I want to see what they do defensively that makes them so much better than Minnesota, but still not very good defensively. If that makes sense, um, they don't have good defenders. I think that they they all have individual good defenders on their team. DeAndre Hunter and Clint Capella stand out for Atlanta. Um, I don't even know. Dorian Finney-Smith is a good defender. Dallas don't have many good defenders, man. I don't even know how they finish 21st. Um, but what they do is they just they just execute defensive principles properly all the time. And I know that that's easier said than done sitting behind a computer like we are. But I just don't... I think that Minnesota can be a good defensive team with the roster they have, plus, you know, marginal marginal additions. Well, what do you mean if by they, good? Let's define that first. Like, good, in that, in for, that range. Good for them. Yeah, so like good in for that them. So it's er, low 20s? To low yeah, 20s? To, for, like, yeah, late in the bottom half of the league, but in the top half of the bottom half, if that makes sense. Um, and, and what they do is, they yeah, they just need to do the right things. I mean... Help the Helper is a, such a... I'm going to get a little bit technical here because this is just something that I notice at all playoffs, every possession, every drive. So they have guys like Luca, Trey Young, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen Brunson. These guys get beat off the dribble, right? Um, that just happens, especially when they're facing really high-level ball handlers. Um, but when they get beat off the dribble, Capella or even Porzingis, who's been horrible in the playoffs defensively, but, you know, Willie Colley-Stein... Those guys rotate up. The guy who's in the corner rotates, sinks in. Um, and when you sink, it's obviously to... You sink in from the corner and you block the guy who's in the dunker spot, right? Like that, you get in front of them. You just put a body on them. And then the guy who's in between that will fill, which means he'll kind of take two two defenders. He'll, he'll then defend the guy in the corner and the guy in the slot above the arc. And those two teams do that very well all the time. And... They will still get beaten defensively a lot because they just don't have great individual defenders on the court and they have guys who you can really pick on. But they help the helper all the time. Yep. And, and Xing and out. They X out really well too. It, right. And that's just that's just the things that I just noticed with Minnesota. They just didn't do. There were so many times where that, that first helper would come and step up and no one would be there on the backside to sink in and, and, and fill the dunker spot, which is an easy dump-off pass or a put-back. And then when they, or they do sink and fill... Uh, they do sink and no one will fill and they'll leave a guy in the corner wide open or a guy in the slot wide open. D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards are the biggest uh, kind of exponents of this, I guess. Like, they're the two guys who don't do that often enough. And to me, I know that, that you know, you watch any kind of... You watch those uh, track the pack kind of things. You, you see that Chris Finch is so dedicated to kind of drumming into their heads that defense is what matters to win games. And I think they can win more games if they just do those simple things right. And I think that that's what I'm going to be looking at coming straight out of the break after a, a full preseason and a full training camp is if these guys are more committed to 
to doing the basic things. I don't ever expect D'Angelo Russell to become 20% more athletic or to, you know, like be a guy who can stay in front of guys. I just expect guys to do the basic things more often. And I think this team can actually be a playoff team. Yeah. And a lot of it is off the ball too. And it's just like paying attention and communicating. And like, do you hear D'Lo constantly saying on the broadcast, no fouls, no fouls, no fouls. And so it's like, he's definitely locked into that part on defense. And I definitely think he was much better on defense, especially off the ball. Uh, once he got back. Um, and, and I think that was just because I think the team's overall communication level was a lot better under Chris Finch. And, you know, when you're talking about stuff that's all off the ball, like help the helper communicating, Xing out, um, tagging rollers, and then communicating switches after that. Um, all of that stuff is, is, is it controllable? Like that does not matter your size or your athleticism like, sure, you might be in a position where, like, if you tag a roller, you might have to get switched onto him for a time, or it might end up in a scramble, and you might be on the weak side, you know, matched up on a dude that can take you into the post. Like, sure, that that happens, but then you have to make another adjustment. Like, defense is all about making adjustments on the fly and helping as best you can. And Right. Just because you're probably going to lose that matchup when you get switched, that doesn't mean that you you lazily go through the action of switching. Like, if you get there, you at least give yourself, you know, a a 20% chance to win that possession rather than a 10% chance. And that's huge if you do that every play. Yeah, and something that I personally saw from D'Angelo Russell that I thought was good, when when that would happen to him, he'd get switched onto him. He would get up in a guy's grill. He really likes that stuff. I think he really likes getting switched up on. Yeah, and he would poke at the ball. Mm. And, And that's something that that can buy you an extra two or three seconds making a guy uncomfortable because then, you know, if he's got his back to you and you're poking at the ball, maybe he turns and faces, you know, that's a second, second and a half. And then he's going to process like, you know, one's going to turn and face and go right away. Um, if you're poking at the ball like that. So, you know, it's little things like that, that I think can make the Timberwolves marginally better if they can do that consistently. But like you're saying, I mean, it's all consistency with this stuff. And if you've got a coach that's constantly going to be on you about these types of things um, and is going to have a whole entire summer to install stuff and communicate with guys and say, this is what I need from you specifically, um, you know, I I certainly think the Timberwolves next year have the potential to be a better defensive team than they were this season. Um, Just because if you look at if you look at where the Timberwolves ranked this season on defense, I think they were like 28th defensively or 29th. you know, I, I could be wrong with, with that, but... Um, they definitely were post-Chris Finch. Post-Finch, they were really... They were worse than what they were with Saunders. They were worse with Chris Finch? Yeah, quite comfortably as well. I think just in comparison to the league, I think some of the league was kind of... Got better as the season went on and Minnesota didn't. Uh, so that kind of bumped them down in the total rankings. But I think they finished the season around... Between 25 and 30, like from that, after 25, you know, you're just bad on defense. It doesn't really matter if you're 25th yeah, or they're, you're 27th. They were like, 27th on defense, uh, according yeah. to cleaning the glass. And I think they can be high, low 20s, like, and that is all, if they can be a top 10 offense, which they were hovering around, you know, in those last 22 games with D'Lo, I think that you can, you can be a good team, like... You can win games like that, but you need to be 
you need to be able to at least compete defensively. You can't be getting blown off the floor every game defensively like they, you know, were towards the end of the season. Because even when, like, they were much better towards the end of the season, but they still had a losing record, you know, in those last 22 games. Like, it's it's just hard to have a winning record if you're one of the worst offensive teams in the league. Yeah, so they were 27th under both Saunders and... Oh, all right. Well, I got that wrong. I think. I'm just going to double-check this. So they were 27th there, and... No, they are 25th under Saunders. 25th. So they went from 25th to 27th. Um, it was a difference of about two and a half points per 100 possessions. So not like a huge drastic improvement, but um, like you were saying, team defenses as a whole got worse because that was after the trade deadline when some of these other teams started to get way better and you had more outlier performances. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of it too, is I think that like when you had Ed Davis in there and you had like Ed Davis and Vando and those guys were playing a bunch and Culver was playing a lot, like guys like that, I think you're naturally going to play slower pace and probably going to get a few more stops, but your offense is going to be so bad that like, you won't really realize that your defense is all that much better. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, but yeah, I, I I definitely think though that under Finch, like next season, they're going to be much more aggressive and be willing to change up the way that they play defense. Whereas this year, I think it was a lot more rigid. Um, and that's something that, that I'm personally excited for, because I think if you get cat more, you know, out on the floor and defending in space, I think that's just going to be much better for him personally. And, um, you know, and you, and then if you have a guy like McDaniels, like McDaniels has shown that he can clean up on the backside. If he's the one that plays the four, or if it's John Collins, Collins is an excellent backside defender. Um, and you saw Atlanta do that a ton. Um, Evan Mobley against is a guy who, Evan Mobley is a guy who's going to, who would fit that role as well, really well. Yeah. Like they had Capella hard hedging and Capella like showing because they trusted Collins on the backside a whole lot. Um, mm. And that was a huge part of his role. Like a lot of people said like, Oh, Collins didn't really do anything on offense. So he's pretty expendable, but like Collins, like Collins being able to defend the rim allowed DeAndre Hunter at six eight or six nine to like really be out there in guys' grills as a three, cl- like clamping people up, and, and that's that, something and, that's going to be big that's for Atlanta. The, that's my overall point: is you don't have to be the best team in the league defensively, you know, to compete or and to win games and to play playoffs if you can be average enough defensively. Like, uh, if you're good enough offensively, you don't have to be. You can, you can be average defensively if you do it enough offensively. I, that took me a while to get out, but that's what I'm getting at. It's Atlanta were ninth in the league offensively. Dallas were eighth. Like, that's not elite, elite. That's kind of the, the range that I expect Minnesota to be. But they were, you know, 18th and 21st defensively, respectively. And that's where Minnesota need to get to because they have the offense that can that can do that. Like, they have the offense that can be a top 10 offense pretty comfortably, especially if they add some pieces like we've spoke about throughout the podcast. Like, that's th- all about the defense. It's always going to be about, you know, just the the ceiling that they have for defensively isn't very high, but they still need to hit that, that you know, low ceiling for this to work. Yeah, and the thing too is, like, I think about the Nets. Like, the, the Nets, like, a lot of times have are, have awful mismatches on defense. But because of the way that they communicate and rotate, like they're able to steal possessions. And 
Minnesota's just got to find more ways to to steal possessions and like just playing a rigid defense where you're not changing it and and not you know being willing to junk it up with the way that you you know double guys switch up who's guarding who for a possession just to throw people a different look like I think Finch was much more willing to do that and the you know the more that you get comfortable being able to play multiple on defense um, the more you'll be able to steal possessions and like that could be the difference between you know being 27th defensively to being 24th or 23rd over the course of a season kind of like what you saw with with Dallas and in Atlanta and the thing about both of those teams is they can throw a lot of different looks at you just because the way that the roster's you know, constructed with a lot of depth, especially on the wing. They have bigger and more physical, longer wings that kind of allows you to to do more. Whereas the Timberwolves are a little hamstrung with like, you know, Malik Beasley is 6'3 and isn't really giving you a whole lot defensively. Like, you know, same thing with Noel or, um, or, you know, even a Kogi at times too. Like a Kogi plays way bigger than he is, but sometimes like people can just shoot right over him because he's only six four. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's things like that without having those bigger, more physical wings. Um, I, I think you just have less, less options defensively. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the most intriguing thing. I think, you know, for this team construction is what they do to, to bring in a defensive help. To me, I think the main cog in defensive improvement is still Anthony Edwards because I think we know that D'Angelo Russell is going to be below average at best and, and horrible at worst defensively. Um, we've seen that Cat has improved and, and can potentially improve a little bit more, or at least if he stays at the level that he did last season or this season. Uh, you know, you can win games with a, def- with a center that defends like that. Anthony Edwards is the one that he's still kind of on the fence. Like, he was a very bad defender this season, but he's also in his first season. He's shown, at least offensively, that he is a very quick learner. Uh, And I think defensively as well. I think he definitely got better defensively throughout the year. He just started with such a low bar that he was never going to get to to average. But if Anthony Edwards comes out with a better understanding of the system with a, a better mindset towards doing all those things that we spoke about consistently, helping the helper, Xing out, and kind of commits himself to, to doing that, especially since his offensive role is never going shouldn't probably be as high as it was this season for the whole season, just because there's gonna be more guys taking shots around him if he can take less breathers defensively and kind of lock in. He he's the guy who can turn the tide because if you have McDaniels, Cat now and Edwards who are all playing at least average defensively, uh, I think that you can you can compete. But two weak links in, in Russell and Edwards, like two really, really weak links in the chain, that's hard to overcome no matter what the other guys do. And and, and yeah, I mean I completely agree with that. And the last thing that I'll that I'll add on to that, um, is that I think it was very evident that both of those guys had much fewer defensive lapses off the ball as the season went on. I think for Ant, it was just a matter of like, okay, holy shit, the pace of the game is much faster. Mm-hmm. And these yeah. are the things that I have to look out for. Whereas with D'Lo, I think it was just understanding that he has to communicate better. And like, he's got to be the guy when he's out there to like really call stuff out. And, and you, I mean, he's got insane awareness and vision offensively. And it's, it's like hard for me to understand why that can't 
you know translate to the other end exactly exactly yeah. so that's the hope that both the both of those guys can can kind of continue to continue to make strides on off the ball on the defensive side and if they do that then you know i think you could see a team that that's closer to you know 23rd or 24th than they are to to the last team in the league defensively right right all right well i've taken up plenty of your time um thank you as usual you can catch jack over at canis hoopus uh doing a lot of good work i'm sure he'll ramps will ramp some stuff up as we get into the draft uh lottery and kind of draft season in general uh anything that you want to plug jack before i let you go uh yeah so i'm actually doing more links coverage this year uh, which has been a lot of fun i was in the building for uh for the Lynx win over the dream on Friday night, which is a great game. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that not a lot of the Lynx games are, are made uh, available on Valley sports North, like they are for the Timberwolves. But um, you know, if you Google how to find the games, um, they're there and you can watch them. Um, I'd really recommend it. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch. Um, they've got a really good team this year, despite the record because um, you know, their best, their best two players missed the first couple of games with um, you know, being, overseas and fulfilling their overseas contracts before um coming back for the WNBA season. So I'll be I'll be doing more WNBA coverage. Um and then the other thing I'm gonna be doing um hopefully starting this upcoming week um is getting into player reviews. Um so kind of looking at at you know player seasons, some of their best plays, some of their worst plays, um, you know, what's what skills they could add that would best move the needle for them. Um, you know, grades, things of that nature will, will kind of be in the, in the format. And you'll see it once I, once I put it out, I, I have an idea in my head of kind of how I want that to go. And so my hope is to be able to do that for, for every single player on the roster, um, you know, over the course of the next month or so. So, so that's what, that's what I've got cooking. They will be very good as well, those player reviews. Uh, and that's the, the true mark of an off-season when we start writing player reviews, uh, especially an off-season in Minnesota, which does not include playoffs ever. So thank you, Jack. <laughs> uh, um, that was a bit depressed, wasn't it? Um, thank you, Bob, for coming on. You're, you're a legend, man. And um, I look forward to trying to getting back and doing this in a few weeks for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. We'll, we'll keep counting those clocks down until, uh, <laughs> until, until that day of... Uh... Of just self sabotage repeats itself on draft lottery <laughs> night. So, but I appreciate you having uh, me. Always good to be with you. No worries, man. Everyone else, thanks for listening. I'll see you guys next time.